what's up? Welcome to Young Adults. My name is Jared. I'm excited that you're with us. That was a, a conference promo for our, our video for our conference promo. So we're excited uh, about that. October 1st and 2nd, make sure you sign up. Uh, well, guys, tonight we're starting off our, our fall semester with a series called What Would Jesus Undo? Uh, if you were around Christian culture in like the, the 2000s, uh, maybe earlier, like uh, 90s, uh, there were these, this, this, cultural phenomenon that started called what would Jesus do and it was these bracelets it was t-shirts it was hats and it was built there to remind people like okay what would Jesus do in this moment you'd see your bracelet that said WWJD and you would go okay what would Jesus do right here right now and and as we were thinking through serious stuff we were like what would Jesus as he looked at our culture now even inside of our church even inside of a bible belt city like Springfield what would he look at and say ah that's not maybe how I would do it. Maybe I would undo that. Maybe I would roll that back and let that play out in a different way. And, and tonight we're looking at the, the fun subject of apathy. Apathy. Nobody likes to be apathetic. When you think through like, man, what's a, what's a personality trait? What's a character trait that you want to find in a friend or in a spouse or in uh, even yourself? You're like, man, I don't, I don't want to be apathetic. Maybe you find yourself apathetic and you're like, maybe I'm just going to live that way for just a little bit. It, it's just what you end up doing. And, and as I was doing this, I had to kind of parse out like, what's the difference between like laziness, passivity, and apathy? And, and, and kind of what I look through is that like laziness is a lack of motion in the will, in the body, in the mind, okay? Passivity is a lack of motion, a lack of drive, a lack of decision making, in decision making, right? Like you just, I just, I'm not going to do anything. I'll be passive in that. Where apathy is a lack of motion, it's a lack of motivation in our hearts, in our minds, and, and I think that's maybe a little bit bigger of a definition than what you read. A lot of it will talk about just like in your mind or in your emotions that you're maybe disconnected, unfazed, a little bit numb. I think the number one thing that everybody has apathy around at some point, and maybe there's some people that are real good uh, at this, but like people don't care where they go to eat. You're like, listen, I'm in. I'm just, I'm just in for the hangs. I'm going to be fine with it. And you're apathetic towards where you eat until somebody says the name of the restaurant that you can't stand. And you're like, I'm not apathetic anymore. I don't want to go there. I'm not eating there. Tell your neighbor where that place might be. It, it might be, never mind, I'm not going to say it out loud. I'll come talk to you afterwards. But everybody's apathetic, nobody's apathetic until that moment comes out. And you're like, listen, I do have an opinion. I do care. And it comes out. And you might have some apathetic moments in, in your job. If you've worked like a retail job, there, there are moments where you look at a situation, you look at a mess that has to be cleaned up, you look at a customer that's giving you big problems, and you just think like, I just don't get paid enough to care this much. So I'm going to walk away and choose to be apathetic. Have you ever, and maybe this is just me, you, you've worked a day shift and you've gone, I'm just gonna leave that for the night crew. They can deal with that. That's my form of apathy. I'm gonna let that go. But I think that you, you do have some forms of apathy where there are, there are certain people that like, maybe you're really driven, maybe you're a go-getter, or maybe you're more laid back and you're like, man, apathy, I, I kind of lean into it. It's not that big of a problem. I know that I'm that way. Or you're that go-getter and you're like, I don't really have many forms of apathy. I have a, a, some emotion around pretty much anything. Like, you get me talking about anything and I can show some emotion in it. But I think one of the things that I want to bring up to everybody tonight, one of the things I just want you to think through, is there might be an area of your life that you're apathetic in. 
There might be something that is in the corner of your heart that maybe is apathetic. That when you hear about it, when something happens, it just doesn't invoke anything in you. And it doesn't do anything to your emotions, to your heart, to your mind, to your soul level where you say, I have to think about that. I have to think, what does the Bible have to say about that? What should me as a follower of Christ or even just a person think about this? I think through it this way. We're not just talking about apathy. Like, if you, if you live your whole life and you just work a job, you pay your bills, you have some kids, you die, apathy, it's not that big of a deal. But I think what we need to talk about tonight is spiritual apathy. Because I think you can be that go-getter type person and have a lot of things that you've done, a lot of notches in your career belt, in your relationship, in the things that you really care about, in the things that you want to knock out and say, I've done that. I'm, I'm climbing the corporate ladder. I'm starting my business. I'm doing all the things. But spiritually, maybe there's a corner of your heart or your life that you're apathetic, that you're just kind of numb to. You've heard it so many times. You know the info. You know the statistics. You've heard and you just, you just, whatever you do, you can't get your heart to care on a one to 10 scale more than a four. You're just like, I just can't get myself to do it. And you're numb. Maybe you have been hurt by someone so much and you feel so pounded into the ground, you don't feel like you can care. You feel like the only emotion that comes up is, is numbness. I don't know how to deal with that. I'm just going to leave it be. And I think what we have to learn tonight, in John 10.10, Jesus says that he came, and we'll read the first part of it later, but what I want you to hear is what Jesus said in the second part, is that I came that you might have life and have it more abundantly. That God has this full idea of what it's going to look like to follow him. Luke 10.27 and Jesus is talking to a group of people here. And he says, you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. He, he wants all of you. That God doesn't want you to have this experience where you're like, I made a, a, a fully intellectual decision to follow Christ and my emotions haven't matched up to you. Your heart, your mind, your soul, Everything. He wants all of it. He wants you to have the full experience of what it looks like to follow and worship him. Would you think that, consider, just for a second, just while I'm talking, that maybe you have something that you're apathetic about. The second thing I want you to think about is that ap apathy comes in many forms. Like I said earlier, th there's the person that's like the go-getter, and they, their life does not look like apathy. Their life does not look like uh, laziness in any form. And on the other end of the spectrum, you have someone who maybe their life doesn't look like maybe making so many big money move decisions. They're just like slow and steady, but that's not necessarily apathy either. Because what we'll learn here in a minute is that apathy is a form of the heart. Apathy is something that happens inside. And the third thing that I want you to consider is that you are responsible for your apathy. You are responsible for your apathy. Like I said in a minute ago, that there was, there's situations where maybe you've been hurt so bad that apathy is what's birthed out of that, is what's born out of that pain. But just because that's what we're left holding on to doesn't mean it's what we have to hang on to. That God has such a good plan for us 
that he wants good things. I have three things that I think factor in to apathy in our culture right now. Uh, and they're from, Craig Rochelle wrote a book on this, uh, and it's really great. But the uh, first thing he says is that we're conditioned for calluses. We're conditioned for this amount of apathy. We have so much inundation of information that it's consistent. This week, you could scroll through your Instagram and see there was an earthquake in Haiti. There's Taliban taking over the government of Afghanistan. There's people in our community that have sick family members that are hurt themselves. And if you're not careful, you pull out your phone and you see, okay, somebody's back from the beach, somebody started a new job, Afghanistan, that seems like a hard read. I'm not in for that right now. That seems like there's some levels to it. I can't. And, and we get conditioned for this amount of callousness that maybe if you feel like if you dove head first into all those things, you wouldn't have the emotional capacity to just live your regular life. We're conditioned for apathy. We're conditioned for that callousness. The second thing that I think we, we struggle with is we don't see how we can make a difference. So what if my heart breaks for some of the things that I see? What difference does that make? If I get hurt, if my heart is opened up spiritually to these things, what difference does that make in the practical sense of what help they need in that situation? I can't always go and do something. And we end up convincing ourselves, if I can't do anything big, I won't even do anything small. So we're apathetic to it all. And then lastly, Comfort makes it hard to care. Comfort makes it hard to care. When you read about one of those situations, I read about it sitting on my couch on my iPhone 12. It's pretty easy to read and keep scrolling. But when I know someone who's impacted, when I see someone's face, when I hear someone's name, when I know someone's story, it changes the whole narrative. That a lot of times we're too comfortable to end up caring at all. And I think this whole recipe ends up where maybe we're not apathetic towards life in general, but we're apathetic towards the things of God and we're apathetic towards our spiritual heart. And I want to ask the question, if you get to the end of your life, will you say, my life mattered? Will you get to the end of your life and say, I, I scrolled over a bunch of things. I saw people that were hurt and I didn't do anything. Or will you say, I stood in the gap where I could. I did the next right thing that God had for me. So what do we do with spiritual apathy? The callousness of the heart towards God. I think the first thing we need to look at is, is it a big deal? Does it matter? Who cares if I care? Who cares what happens internally? Because I think sometimes what ends up happening is that we give God parts of our hearts. We say, God, I've been showing up to church, so my intentions don't necessarily matter. God, I've been giving you the right decisions, so my emotions don't necessarily add up. And I just want to point to a couple of things in Scripture. If you read through the Old Testament, it is a consistent cycle all the way through where God has a chosen people of Israel that he's choosing to show his grace, show his mercy, show his plan for redemption to the world through. And things are good. They're following God. They're living how God told them to. 
So they have some prosperity. And when they're prosperous, they get comfortable. When they get comfortable, they get apathetic. And what normally happens is they see the people that live next to them, the country that's next door, and they go, they don't do things like God, and they seem to be doing okay. They're not doing things the way that God told them to, and they seem to be fine. And they go, God, why, why won't you just let us go live like them? And he says, I think you really should do things how I've told you to. There's consequences and they go, okay, but what, what if we just dipped our toe in? What if we just did a little bit? Not everything, just a little bit. I think about when they were in the desert, the Israelites, and God was literally, they were in the desert, they didn't have what they needed. God was literally giving them what they needed, bread from heaven, and they complained about it. Bread was falling from the sky every morning, and it was just enough, and it was enough every day so that you didn't have to grab extra and keep it in your pantry. You just had enough for the day And they came out of their tents and they went, it's getting kind of old, God. There was a sense of apathy in the Old Testament. And in Zephaniah 1.12, he says, at that time I will search Jerusalem with lamps. Because there had been an attitude of apathy. And he said, I will punish the men who are complacent. God does not look at complacency and apathy of the heart and say, It's fine. He'll search it out. He'll find it. Because he wants all of you. James 4, 17 says, So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it's sin. For the person who sits back and goes, Man, I I see that that's obviously what I should be doing, and I'm choosing not to. God says, that's wrong of you. Sin is not just a list of things that we shouldn't do. It's also, hey, God prompted you to move and act and be an agent of his hand to the world. And when you don't do that, it's sin. Revelation 3, 15 and 16. What's happening in Revelation is that there are letters going out to churches. And this is what he has to write to the church of uh, Laodicea. He says, I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you would either be cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot or cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. I'm done, I'm done with you. You're just going to choose to live with a foot in both camps. I won't have it. I want all of you. In Matthew 28, 19, One of the last things that Jesus says to the people that he's around, he tells them to go. A spirit of apathy is not one that is on mission and going and moving forward and doing what this verse says. It says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I think sometimes we've confused following Jesus with living a really good, clean life. When what God wants is for us to jump head first and say, God, you have all of me. I don't know what that looks like. I don't know what all the consequences are going to be for that. But you have all of me. And if it means go, I'm going to go. And we get convinced I can get my job straight out of college. Just do kind of the the minimum. Get by. Live a good life for God. Do some things. But really in our hearts, it's not laziness. We're not doing nothing. We're not that laid back. 
but we have a, a corner of our heart that we're letting apathy live in. And I think we have to really take a step back and understand what's at play here. This isn't, man, this is gonna be the difference between, the, John 10.10, 10, the, the verse that I referenced earlier, we have to know that our enemy's game plan is not just marginalization, apathy, a, a, a life of, ah, man, just, no, his game plan is to steal, kill, and destroy. In other parts of the Bible, it talks about he prowls like a lion, waiting. Y'all, we took our kids to the, to the Dickerson Park Zoo, and there's a tiger there whose head is like bigger than my torso. His jaws are like monstrous. They're huge. And that thing has a cage that, I mean, it's super high, but that thing just like prowls. And it has this little path that it walks, that it beats down the path. And we walked up to it, and I'm like, I'm getting like chills. I'm like, man, if that thing got out, it would destroy me. Utterly. It's, I mean, it would take out my, my midsection in a bite. Like, it's just unbelievable. And that's Satan. He's just waiting for a gap in the fence. Your apathy is not such a small deal that we can live with it for a little bit longer. That corner of your heart, that corner of your life that you're saying, man, what does it matter if I don't care? What does it matter if I don't do anything? Satan looks at that and says, yeah, I got a game plan for that. I want to steal, I want to kill, and I want to destroy you with that corner of your life. But the flip side, Jesus responds and he says, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I think we have to consider the cost. While you sit here and you think through what that apathy might be in your life, what that thing is that you go, I just, I just don't know that I can bring myself to care. God has so much in store for us. You would get to the end of your life Have no regrets. Have no well wishes that you should have done anything different. That you lived your life to the fullest. The most meaningful thing that you can do. I mean, we have to back up to the place where we realize and we understand that our creator, who the Bible says knew us before we were formed in our mother's womb, who knows the number of hairs on our head, who knows your personality, who knows every mistake that you made. He loves you so much that he looks at all those mistakes and he says, I'll take the brunt of those so that we can have life. And I don't want to get to the end of my life and say, yeah, I thanked him for doing that and then I went and did whatever I wanted. I want to live my life with reckless abandon because of what Jesus did for me. So how do we overcome apathy? What do we do with it? In Romans 12, I want you to turn there. That's going to be our, kind of our verse for tonight, Romans 12, 11. If you don't have a Bible, uh, it's going to be on the screens, but we'd love to give you one if you don't have one over at Next Steps afterwards. But Romans 12, Paul is writing to a group in Rome and telling them how to live out their faith in a huge metropolis. And he gets to Romans 12, and he's telling them what their life should look like. And the first two verses are an incredible look of what a living sacrifice should be your life. 
And then he he goes on to talk about how great grace is, how good God's forgiveness is. And then he gets to verse 9 through 13, and he says, hey, these are the marks of a true believer. These are the things that you should be looking at as markers in your life, things to keep up with, things that when you look at and you read that and you go, that's not me, you go, okay, where am I falling off the map? And Romans 12, 11 fits right in there with that. 12, 11, this is what it says. It says, do not be slothful in zeal. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. I'm going to read it one more time. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. He kind of does something interesting where he has the negative, don't be slothful in zeal. He has the positive, be fervent in spirit. And then he has the directive, go serve the Lord. And what he's talking about there, when he starts, he says, don't be slothful in zeal. When he's talking about zeal, he's saying that every part of you, your, your, your innermost person, your emotions, does God have all of you? Like I said earlier, sometimes we we get convinced that God has my actions, so why does he need my emotions? God has my intellect, why does he need my heart? God has some of my decisions, why does it matter if he has my intentions? But he says don't be slothful in zeal. Um, We we take our kids to Wonders of Wildlife every once in a while. We live right around the corner from it. And it was a big deal. They were like clearing out this big part of it and they were redoing something and we'd walk by it and we we have like the family passes so we bring our our, our kids and our kids get excited when there's something new because it's like a different animal. And we, we walked past and they were like, we, we saw somebody and it was like near the exhibit, like, oh, what's going in there? Like, a sloth. Awesome. I don't know that I'd ever seen a sloth in person, right? Um, so we were really excited. And one of the next times we came through, they were like, hey, the sloth is in there. We're like, that's awesome. So we, we went up to go see it and we're like, we, I don't see it. And they're like, well, you got to look all the way back in the corner and there's a big round ball of fur in the corner, and it sits back there about 23 and a half hours a day. And my kids looked at it and went, they didn't care. It didn't matter. We came by a couple more times, and I see the sloth, and I say, what's up? And the sloth is in there, and and we get really excited because there's like a worker that's like dropping a head of lettuce in there. We're like, this sloth is going to realize there's some food in there and move towards it because obviously they're going to feed him when he's hungry. And they put the head of lettuce in there. And the sloth didn't move. And we waited for about five minutes, which with kids is an eternity. And I kept waiting for that sloth to make a move towards his food And he never moved. He didn't move towards the thing that was going to give him life. He was slothful towards the things that bring life. The word that contrasts this one is diligence. Don't be slothful towards your emotions, towards your heart, towards your inner person. Be intentional. Be diligent. Show up. Make a habit of 
knowing God's word, reading it, knowing what it says, spending a little bit of time with God every single day, being diligent, knowing what's going to give you life and moving towards it. Not to see it on your nightstand and go, I mean, it's there. I think sometimes God looks at us and says, I know what's going to give you the most life. I know what's going to give you life abundant. And we sit like that sloth in the corner of a cage and we go, I'll get to it when I'm hungry. And I think we have to look at how that looks to the outside world. How that looks to people that are looking for meaning, that are looking for purpose, that are looking for something. And we end up looking at it and going, I'll get to it at some point. When in reality, this is life. This is everything that we need. Don't be slothful in zeal. And the next phrase he says is be fervent in spirit. And again, where before when he's saying in zeal, your emotions, when he says in spirit, he's talking about your innermost person, your heart, your mind, your soul. But then he says, be fervent. And when he says, be fervent, what he's getting at there, there's really two definitions for it. The first one is boiling. Boiling. Um, I I really, I I try not to cook much because I'm not good at it, Um, but I like coffee. And I was in a phase where I was trying to like learn all the different ways to make coffee because I was making bad coffee for a long time and it wasn't very good and I was trying to make it better and uh, one of, I have a brother in St. Louis who's like, oh, you've got you to try French press. So I was like, all right, I'll get, a, I'll get a French press. And I got a French press, and he was like, well, you, do you have um, a deal where you can heat it up on the oven, and it's got like a gooseneck deal? And I was like, no. And he's like, all right, well, I'll get you one for Christmas. So I got one. And uh, my greatest mistake with it was I went to make coffee uh, one day, and I don't think there, there's some situation where nobody else left in the house or something, and I, I turned it on, was getting it ready, went and got ready, came back and never turned off that oven. And that deal was just destroyed. Like, it just looked different. It was like metal, but it was like a different color. And the gooseneck deal, it was just like all melted down. It was just ugly, right? It just didn't look right. And I think boiling has some properties that are like doing that to things. When you cover something that's boiling, there's movement. It's going to boil the lid off of a pot. Did you know that steam engines, trains, move trains with steam, boiling water can move things that weigh tons of weight, tons of cargo with steam, boiling water. Does the way that you're fervent towards your inner spirit Drive you to move. What it's not saying here when it says be fervent in spirit is that you have to be the guy who's like always excited and in people's faith, you hear about Jesus? Because I heard about you. And you're just like, you need to chill. And that's not my personality. So you need to like just chill out. I'm more laid back. That's, that's what I need to do. It's not saying change your personality. What it's saying here is have an inner boiling in your heart that moves you to action. The second thing that you see with something that's boiling is that it's loud. I'm sure when I set that pot down on 
that kettle down on the oven, it made some noise. Now, nobody was home to hear it, but it made some noise. If you have a kettle that you heat up water with, I mean, that thing squeals. It starts flapping the lid. It just makes a ton of noise. Does your fervent spirit draw you to speak? To outwardly express what God has done in your heart. The last thing that boiling does is it purifies. I remember we went on vacation once um, and we were going to a lake and when we got there, my parents sat us all down and they're like, hey listen, we just found out, we didn't know this, but this, this county that we're in has a boil order on for their water. Something contaminated their water and for no, for, in order for it to be healthy for you to drink, you need to either drink bottled water or you need to boil it before you do anything with it. Why? Because when you boil something, all the imperfections leave. Does your fervent spirit cause the imperfections to rise to the surface and to be dealt with? Is God moving and working in your heart and life So much so that the things that don't belong there stand out. Or do they fit in? The other analogy, so fervent can mean boiling. Fervent can also mean burning. And and when you think through something burning, you think through a, a lot of different things. But the things that I think through is that when something is burned, it's costly. There, there, there's something that's going to have to get burnt up. Whether you are burning a lighter or you start a bonfire, there's something that's an agent that is going to get burnt up. You need oxygen. You need something that's going to get burnt and finish the chemical reaction with the oxygen so that the fire can exist. Whether it's wood or fuel, it needs an accelerant. Are there things that are an accelerant for your walk with God that it's costly? There's something that you're going to have to get rid of, but it's an accelerant. It makes the fire burn hotter. Listen, it's not easy to follow Christ, but it's worth it. That we have to gladly set things down and say, God, this is worth it to set on the fire. The second thing I see that it's contagious. Fire is contagious. If you are seated next to a fire... You're either going to move away because it's too hot or you're going to catch on fire yourself. Is your life, does your fervent spirit set the people around you on fire for God the same way that you are? And the last thing is that fire is beautiful. It's attractive. There's something to sitting on a dark fall night by a fire that you could draw it, it's not going to look the same. When you see a fire, there's something that it's just different than anything else, that you're drawn to it. You want to see it. You want to watch what's going on. Does your life attract people? I think about this in the form of like, man, apathy has to be one of the most disgusting things that you can see future spouse. I don't think any girl in here has ever left a situation and been like, yeah, he just doesn't care about anything. It's so nice. It's just not going to happen. But you're going to look at someone and say, they have deep convictions. They care about the things of God. They care about the people that are close to them. 
They want to see their world changed for Christ. It's attractive. It's beautiful. So how do we get and keep a fervent spirit? First thing is you add fuel. You add fuel to it. To know and to obey God's word. And here's why I say know and obey. Because I think there's a certain level of apathy that we put up with in Christianity where we read something and we go, yeah, I don't disagree, God. Thank you for that today. Right? God, thank you for that. I'll let somebody know if they need to hear that. I'll try to go be the Holy Spirit to them. Meanwhile, it's not impacted you at all. It hasn't changed anything for you. Some of the hardest things to do in walking with God is to read God's word and go, don't like that, but I'm going to try it today. I'm going to be obedient today. And what we're doing is you're adding fuel to the fire in your spirit. Not everybody might see it. It might not work its way out outwardly for a long time, but that's not why we do it. The second thing is to, to, within that, adding fuel is to be around other people. That when you're looking to start a fire, when you're looking to get things going, what do you do? You take another fire and you add it to what's already there. Are the people around you adding to your fervent spirit for God? Second thing is to be consistent, to be diligent, to show up. I think about our verse for the semester talks about being steadfast and immovable. You know what steadfast means? It's like a pillar in a storm that doesn't go anywhere, that is regardless of the situation in your life, regardless of everything else that's going around, you're going to be diligent. You're going to be consistent. You're going to keep doing what you need to do to keep that fire stoked. You're going to show up. You're going to keep doing the right things. When you see that it's dying, you're going to do, do something to move something back into place so that it burns bright. And the last thing is to throw it all in. If you want to see the fire of your life burn bright, find every piece of obedience that you can and do it. And a lot of times that starts with just one thing. God, I know about this corner of my life that's apathetic and I want you to have it. I want you to do it. Right there where I can't, God. And I'm going to keep giving that to you until it changes. And then the end of the verse, so he says, don't be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit. Last thing, serve the Lord. Serve the Lord. That he gives this directive but it's not just for our inward, like, man, I walk around with this fervent spirit, this fire in my in, inner, inward self. But also, it does work itself out so that we serve the Lord. And then you think through the verses in Colossians and 1 Corinthians that say, anything that you do, do it unto the Lord. That we don't have a shortage of things to do for God when we think about serving him. And I asked the question from earlier. I don't want to get to the end of my life and answer the question, what did my life matter, and say, nothing for God. Because God has a hope for you, a plan for you. 
that you may not know where it ends, but all you need to do is do the next right thing and say yes to him today and right now. Um, as I was prepping for this, I was reminded of the story of a man named C.T. Studd. C.T. Studd, one awesome name, if any of you guys are having children, name your kid C.T. Studd. It sounds awesome. But C.T. Studd uh, was born in the UK, and he was um, not saved until later in life, but he was a really talented athlete, and he was a really good cricket player. So he put all of his time and energy and thought into playing cricket. And his dad was a believer, and his dad would try to tell him about faith, and his dad would try to tell him about Jesus, and he would bring in uh, people from his church to say, hey, will you talk to my son, C.T., about faith? And he didn't do it for a long time. And finally, one day, he said that there was a guy that came into his home, one of his dad's friends, and said, do you know Jesus? And he said, I mean, I know who he is. And he said, okay, if you died tonight, where would you go? And he said, I, I could, don't know that I could answer that question. So he said, at that moment, I gave my life to Christ. But he said, what I didn't do was give him the rest of my life. I knew that if I died tonight, I needed him. But I knew that if I died at the end of my life, I hadn't made any changes that showed the new allegiance that I had to God. So he said for six years, his main focus was still on cricket. He was focusing on it. He wanted it to be the thing that he was good at. And he ended up playing professionally for a couple of years. But it all came to a head when his brother George got sick. His brother George got sick and he was just getting more sick and more ill and more sick and more ill. And he said that he didn't know what to do and he didn't understand how a, a God who says that he loves him would let his brother get sick and begin to die. And he said that he was on his way home from work one day and he picked up a pamphlet from a well-known atheist at the time. And he started reading through it. And the atheist said, if God is real, if God is who he says that he is, I would do two things. I would pray to him like it mattered. He said, the other thing I would do is I would tell everyone that I know about him. Because if he really is the only way, I would want everyone to come with me. And C.T. Studd said that he read that and he was so convicted because he said, I'm not doing either of these things. So he said right then and there, he knew that the trajectory of his life would change forever. And he said, we came home. And he said, I, I fell on my knees and I prayed for really one of the first times. And he said, then it kind of snowballed. He wanted to see people saved and he started doing some things for the Lord, started learning more about God so that he could tell people about him, started telling people about Christ. And he didn't always know what was coming next, but he had plans to go to Africa. He, he went to China. He went to India. He did all these things because he just wanted people to know about God. And he ended up living a life that just reflected God to everyone around him. He was born in 1860, and he's someone that we still know of today, not because he was an incredible cricket player. His career only lasted for about two years. But what we know about him is that he reached people that no one else in the world had reached and started missionary churches in places that had never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. He has two quotes. 
that are attributed to him. And the first one is a poem that he wrote. He says, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Here was a person who was putting all of his thought and energy and time into the thing that he thought he was best at. And he probably was. But he said that there was just a moment where he realized that there's got to be more to this. And he started stepping in and leaning in and taking a step here and taking a step here and saying, God, what could my life look like if I ridded my life of apathy? What would your life look like if you said, God, I'm all in today? The other quote that he's attributed to, it's attributed to him. He died on the field in China. He had family who died that he couldn't go see. He didn't have money at times in his life. And to think that he could have been a successful athlete. At the end of his life, he said this, some want to live within the sound of a church or a chapel bell, but I want to run a rescue shop within a yard of hell. Why would someone say that? Why would someone want to live a life like that? Because he knew that he was going to spend eternity with his creator, with his redeemer in paradise. So he wanted everyone to come with him. What does it matter what life looks like here? I want it to just be stripped clean of everything that I need, everything that I want, so that I can glorify God with my life. And apathy holds us back from doing that. Will you sacrifice your apathy tonight? Will you hand it to God? Will you say enough with the marginalized Christianity, enough with the marginalized life and say, I want God to be glorified in everything that I do. I don't know where I might end up, but I want to take the next right step. Will you bow your head?